I'm life and business coach, Samantha Sifring, and this is the Online Business Building Mamas podcast, where you learn how to build a wildly successful business from home while raising kids. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Today, I have a very, very special guest. This is my COO, Brenna, and we wanted to hop on and do a podcast where we really give you a behind-the-scenes peek of what it's like running a million-dollar business, and I wanted to maybe let the cat out of the bag before we even get into this, that Brenna and I are sisters. Some of you know that, some don't, and we really debated Do we want to share that detail? And we ultimately decided, yes, I think it's going to give you some really good context and just allow us to be a little more free in our conversation. But I feel like I have to give the caveat here, and Brenna and I can talk about this a little bit too, that not everyone's sister is going to make a great COO or even employee at all in their business and there's a very specific reason why we did this and very specific reasons why it works so after all of that i'm going to hand it over to brenna to introduce yourself and talk about some of those like how we make it work as sisters details yeah awesome yeah cats out of the bag we are related i am brenna sam's younger sister and her chief operating officer. My background is in statistics and data, like all things digital marketing, really. It's what I studied. I had a corporate career in it, got up to you know, a, a managing level, and then it just was sort of <laughs> natural, almost, would you say, that I ended up working in your business? I feel like we talked about it so many times and reasons why it would make sense and reasons why it wouldn't make sense. I had a very natural interest. I think we have very similar values and very similar brains in certain ways. So I was very much into all of the personal development that you were into sort of cheering your business along. And then you got to a place in your business where you were doing some digital marketing. And I feel like that is kind of where I first stepped in. Actually, you know what? I think when I first stepped in, you kept getting your ads account shut down (laughs) for not following the rules of ads. And you're like, please help me. That was so terrible. I just like was like a, I don't even know, renegade on the ads where I would just be like, yeah, I'm just going to like throw this ad out there. This is some good copy. And it just was a bad time for me. Yeah, you just didn't want to be limited by their rules, mm-hmm. <laughs> by yeah, a machine limiting. telling you that it flagged something and not even like having a human read it. But yeah. And then I think, again, just my interest in your business grew very naturally and it started to make a lot of sense where I could kind of step in and help out and start doing things like creating systems because, again, I had a lot of background in that. In my corporate days, I was working on projects like creating a centralized digital marketing database. Again, looking for ways to make the company more efficient to help with communication and transferring information and simplification of everything. 
And so I think I had been working on some of that with you kind of just evaluating some of your systems and processes and softwares and making recommendations. And then, yeah, I think we, it was last year, right? I mean, I think I stopped working my corporate job spring of last year. Mm-hmm. And from there, my role with you just kind of grew. And <laughs> I was definitely COO, but it was also like, we are building a business together and exploring and experimenting and figuring out the how along the way. So I've done many different things in the business. And then this year, obviously it just made sense for me to be more full-time and exclusive with you. Yay. Yeah. So fun. (laughs) So for everybody listening to just know, like this was a really intentional hire of somebody who had a really advanced skill set that she could bring to the business. So I don't know why. Yeah. (laughs) It is important though, because well, and there's something really special about being able to work with a sibling that you have a great relationship with or any family member for sure. But I think having skill set and a lot of intention behind what we were doing, like that was very important. We had a lot of conversation. Like there was, I remember one time we had a conversation and said, this doesn't make sense. And I think the reason why is because we said, when you would be away from the business, how likely would it be that I would also be away from the business? Because we're going, like, yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah. We have other people on the team, which we'll talk about later in the podcast. But yeah, yeah, that is a very real issue that we face. Mm -hmm. And then I think as well, we've talked about this before too. Again, we're, we're both very invested in our own coaching and our own personal development. So we're taking lots of responsibility for how we both show up for our own emotions. And I think it helps us again, like align with our, our values. And I don't know, we're very non-dramatic. Mm-hmm. I think we're both like not very dramatic people and we have all of the personal development stuff. And I feel like even as kids, like... I don't think we ever fought. No. Ever. I don't think so either, which is strange. Yeah. And like granted, like I don't know how many details people need, but we didn't grow up in the same household. But still, like we spent a lot of time together that you would assume like siblings would have some fights. Yeah. And we just didn't. No. I, I feel like we've always had very similar interests and senses of humor and it's it's made things very easy. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, good. Okay. Let's get into talking about the business. So the way that I want to go through this is through the four principles of scaling that I teach in Simple Scaling Mastermind. I think these are really like the four major tenants in a business as you're scaling. So I thought, what better way to go through and talk about ours than to do it that way? And we received a lot of questions from all of you who love to listen to this podcast. So we have like woven in your questions into each of these categories. The first one is vision. And Brenna, I am so curious. This is a question I added to every category because I want to get your thoughts on it and I'll share mine too. So the first category is vision. This question is, what is different at a million dollars in your opinion? Mm. 
I would say, at least for me and my role, but I think for both of us, the vision includes the vision for the team as well. So I think it's both the vision for our clients and for the programs, but also for the team. What does that look like? We're talking about creating roles and careers for people and and sort of establishing that. I think we're also envisioning I think we're a little more clear too on how we want to feel and like really like even more so focused on simplicity and our energy and taking a step back almost, if that makes sense, as part of our long-term vision. Mm -hmm. I think so too. I agree about team. I feel like the vision that I have long-term is so focused on the team. I think it's also really focused on the number of clients. Like I feel like it's less about the amount of money and more about how many clients is that? What does that look like? What happens with the offers? Like, do they stay the same? Do they need to change? So those Mm -hmm. are really big changes for me. I also feel like it feels more real. And of course I still have doubts right? Like when I look at the $10 million plan, it's not like I'm like done easy. I know exactly how I'm going to do it, but I do look at it and know like, I'm going to figure that out. Like we're going to figure that out together. That is something that we're going to do. And when I first started working with long-term vision in my business, it all felt like monopoly money. Like this will never happen. And it, that just is different for me now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. Okay. So speaking of the $10 million vision, I had a question. What is the long-term vision for the business? So this is from one of our clients and I've already mentioned we have the vision of 10 million, but I would love to hear from you. Like when you think about your long-term vision for the business, what is part of that? Yeah, I think outside of that 10 million goal, I just see myself really being more settled into this role that I'm currently in. And while I feel like I have done a lot of work around similar, sort of similar to the CEO self-concept work that you teach in the programs, that COO self-concept as well, I've kind of worked on over the last year and I'm, I'm feeling a lot more settled in that. And I think with that too, and taking a lot of responsibility there for growing a team, developing a team, leading a team, I see my role as the COO being a lot more clearly defined and sort of meeting the vision maybe that I have for that role, which again is leading and growing a team, more focused on strategy. I think being a leaner team, we have still been in a place where occasionally lines blur between roles and we're more about being resourceful and making something happen no matter what. So I I just kind of see it becoming more distinct, like that role being more distinct and really feeling like I'm a leader, I'm a strategist. This is what this role is supposed to be. I love that. Something else I wanted to say about the long-term vision, I've shared this with the mastermind clients, I think, but I don't know if I've shared it somewhere else yet. But when we look at the long-term vision, and so for me, this is like three years out looking at having a $10 million business. 
We are approaching this year, 2022, with that 10 million in mind. And I think that this is a really different approach than how a lot of people show up in their business or approach their goals in their business. So of course we have a revenue goal for this year. We have sales goals for the programs this year, but we're also looking at what is the math of the $10 million year. And this is the year that we solve for that, that we figure out how do we make that happen? What needs to be in place? What are the things we need to figure out this year that is going to make that inevitable in a future year? And I think that's a really powerful way to look at things and approach the business. I'm curious what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like we have really like aligned and come into this perspective of being really proactive versus reactive to things. And I think it helps us in so many ways. It helps us with the the tangibles, right? And I, I think it was something that I was starting to pick up on again on the last year. Like I remember having a conversation once and you having a certain goal for mastermind enrollment. And I remember saying, I have a different goal than you. <laughs> and it's not that I don't have the same goal as you. It's for my brain to prepare for the systems and get in that zone again, from like a more tangible, like systems perspective, I had to have a higher number in mind. And then very recently we started talking about it more and you kind of came in with a little more intention and guidance on, okay, this is the goal. And now let's be really intentional about how can we look at this goal now and start making it happen. I think that has helped me a lot with my thoughts as well. It's helped me a lot, like prepare with my thoughts and my feelings and pay more attention to those things Mm -hmm. as we move into upcoming launches. And I think that will make it again, a little more simple, a little more smooth as we grow to that 10 million plus mark. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that you made about like my role and bringing that in. I think this is like one of the things you have to grow into as a CEO is that you are the holder of the vision and the belief and the thoughts and all of that. And like you really set the tone for the whole team in that way. And I think for part of my business, especially some of last year, I feel like I was in this place where I was looking to other people to create the belief for me or like make me have the belief And like, we have talked about this a lot. There was like a pivotal moment in the business where we started letting go of certain contractors and that kind of thing. And we had this like motto, like we're bringing everything in house. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was really all about like, oh, I've had all of these other people in my business that I've been trying to like, I don't know, siphon belief out of to have belief myself. And so that was a really big shift, recognizing like my job as CEO is bringing that belief and bringing that vision. And I think it has made a difference. I actually noticed a shift when we went through that phase. I feel like there was a lot changing in the business. There was a rebrand. We were getting a lot more clarity on the programs. And then we went through that transition phase where we were taking things in-house I feel like there was an energy shift around that time period where I wouldn't say everything fell into place. We just instantly started hitting our goals. It wasn't like that, 
but it just felt like there was sort of like a contentment and a knowing that once we made that call, that that was going to be very pivotal. And like, I, I feel it, I believe it, I've seen it in the last six to eight months that it has been. Mm-hmm. I so love and appreciate that you said that things didn't immediately click into place. Yeah, they did not. <laughs> Because I think this is something that not enough people talk about. And there's kind of this idea, like, if I just have that mental shift, then, like, everything will immediately start working and I'll never fail again. And that's just not how it works. That's definitely not true. We have learned that. We have learned it and lived it quite a bit. All of the things. Yes. And I think it's just good for everybody listening to know that, that, like, you can have the mental shift that you need to have and you may still have some fails before you start really getting the results that you want and that's okay. I think how you said like that knowing, that is so important. Like if you can get to that place where you know, like I am figuring this out, this is going to work. Like if I keep innovating, if I keep failing, if I keep learning from each thing, it is inevitable that I get where I want to go. I feel like that was the power for me at the beginning of my business when I first started. And that has really been super helpful in the past, like you said, six to eight months as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So now I guess I'm just wondering, like, what else do we want to say about vision? I was wondering, like, do you have thoughts about the business, thoughts about goals in the business? I feel like we've covered a lot of it, but I want to make sure we share everything that we want to. Yeah, I feel like something that maybe we haven't touched on as much and maybe because it didn't necessarily feel like it was something brand new to us this year, but growing to $10 million plus, obviously there is that component of how many more people we will be helping. And I think it's in a bunch of different ways, right? I I know we'll talk about team later on in this podcast, but it's, it's creating these opportunities for people who are working with us as well as continuing to have this massive impact on a large population of people and being able to touch more people with that. Yeah. That is something that came up for me looking at the $10 million math and seeing that it's 2,500 students and mom at a CEO. And as soon as I saw that, I just thought about the 2,500 mamas coming through the program, making money in the program and like the impact of that. And it actually really was very like motivating and compelling to me to think about Like, I just thought, wait, like there's already 2,500 women who want to make money with a business right now. Like they're waiting on me Mm -hmm. to like get my act together and find them, reach them, sell to them, all of the things. And that was just like really compelling. So I think for both of us, like thinking about that impact and I agree like about team, we'll dig into that at the end, but I think that is something that's super powerful to me too, thinking about the impact we get to have when we're scaling. And what's so interesting too, and this may be helpful for people to hear because we see it in Mama to See all the time. I have seen that epiphany across 
so many different clients and mama to CEO where they say, oh, there is someone like one person. My goal is one client for this month. And my goal is to go out there and find that one person who's ready for us right now. And we are still like 2,500 people. We're going to go out and find those 2,500 people who are ready for us right now. And when we are trying different things, going through the innovation cycle, I think a thought that has been really helpful for me to keep the vision has been like, I guess I would phrase it almost like we're where we're supposed to be. Like we're doing what we're supposed to be because I am believing that all of those people are out there waiting to be helped by us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it is such a powerful vision because, you know, you've already alluded to it. Like we've had struggles with ads and that kind of thing. Like it certainly didn't end you know, sadly, when you joined the business. <laughs> I wish I could have done that, but no, things just got way more complicated. Thanks, Facebook. Yeah. Paid ads are are just a challenge. And I think, you know, really remembering those people, like there's people out there who really want this and it's our job to make sure they know about us. Mm-hmm. That. I think has helped so much during those hard times with ads because it could be so easy to look at ads failures and think like nobody wants this. We should just like give up on this strategy. And instead it's been like, no, they for sure want it. Like it's not a problem with that. So like what isn't translating? How are we not hitting the mark? What do we need to shift to make mm-hmm. this like, easier for them to understand or find or all of those things? Yeah. It like brings that motivation piece where we don't want to give up because we have people out there we can help, but it also brings some kind of peace, like that peace, that knowing of, you know, we're going to figure it out. We trust ourselves to figure it out. We know it's going to happen to kind of balance it out, to not be hustly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like a lot of people maybe think like with scaling, it's like all about ads and strategy and all of the things and like the belief work is done. And I think the biggest thing that's standing out to me just in our conversation so far is that having that vision and the belief in the vision is the most important part. Like that Mm -hmm. is what everything else flows from. That is the lens you problem solve from, create from, sell from all the things. And it is, I think, like crucial. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's why I think doing like retrospectives with your team, meeting and talking about what went well, didn't work well, some sort of evaluation process, you know, per the innovation cycle is super important too, because how many times did we talk this year and look back and say, okay, we didn't get the results we wanted, but like, how easy is it for us to see right now where we were lacking in belief or what our thoughts were at that time? It comes together so easily. It makes so much sense to us when we look back on it. Yes. Oh my gosh. I had such a funny example of that creating the simple scaling launch that we're doing right now. I decided to throw out all the emails that I had ever written before for the mastermind, completely start from scratch. And as I was doing it, I was remembering the launch emails from the prior launch and how I had like written entire emails about my other program that I was sending out during the mastermind launch. And 
at the time, that seemed like such a good idea. We both thought it was so smart. We were like, this makes total sense, right? We're giving them another option in case, you know, they're, they're wanting to get there, but they don't have the business yet. Like there's a lot of ways in which that made sense. It seemed like such a good idea. And now I look back and I'm like, well, of course I didn't sell the number of spots I wanted to in either thing during that launch. Because I was confusing people. Like, I did mm-hmm. not have one clear, consistent message. I wasn't utilizing every opportunity to sell the one thing. Like, it, it just was so obvious. And things like that just aren't obvious until you've made the mistake. Like, until you've tried the thing, learned the hard lesson, and then evaluated after the fact, it's just not as easy to see. So I think, like as much as we can possibly encourage people to be willing to just try things and do it wrong and learn the hard way. Mm -hmm. That's how you do it. Yeah. And I also am going to make a point here because again, I'm pulling from what I see in our programs and things that our clients are talking about and stressed out about. I feel like decision-making around that and taking action sometimes can be really hard, especially if you're the only person in your business. Well, you know, I'm qualified for this role. Sam and I are working together. We have had contractors and experts and whomever that we've worked with to develop strategies and still failed. <laughs> so you, you might think you need more information or more help or a different perspective or whatnot, but it's not true. You just need to take action. It's so, so true. I didn't anticipate going down this road. But I feel like this is a pertinent story. Last year, I, not we for sure, I decided to (laughs) hire this like extremely expensive marketing specialist who had had success with some other people that I know. And I thought like, this is the foolproof plan. Like I have money in the business. I'm going to spend my money on like things that are for sure going to work and get me big results like these other people. And it did not work. It was. <laughs> it did not work. It was like a total fail. We fully noticed a shift in our energy. Yeah. Probably a worse fail than like prior launches. Obviously, valuable lessons learned. Expensive lesson. <laughs> and such a good reminder, like other people do not know better than you for your business. And I think the best you could ever invest in is somebody who's helping you get clear on your vision, your way of doing it, helping you make decisions quickly and implement them quickly and learn from them quickly. So much more valuable than like an expert who's going to tell you exactly what to do. Yep. Agreed. Great. Let's move on to boundaries. (laughs) So something that I've been talking about with regards to boundaries a lot lately is the margins in the business. I think that this is kind of like a new way I've been thinking about boundaries. Like when I first started teaching boundaries, it was very much like the boundaries between you as a human and your business as an entity that is something separate from you. And I have just like deepened my understanding of what boundaries look like in the business to involve like the profit margin and how you're managing your money, how you're managing your time, how you're managing your emotions and your energy, that kind of thing. 
and making sure that you have really strong margins on all of those things so that you're not burning yourself out. You're not spending all the money. You're not, you know, blowing all the time on things that don't matter or having really sloppy boundaries between work life and non-work life. So let's talk about boundaries a little bit. And what would you say is different at a million dollars than before? Mm. Oh, I feel so mixed. I'm like everything and nothing is the same at a million dollars as it was before. I think I'm still noticing different things or not different things. I would say I'm still noticing the same things, but in different ways. So by that, I mean, you know, I've kind of gone on my own personal journey with my own work-life balance and what that looks like for me and establishing those boundaries for myself. And I think what was very interesting and something I noticed, actually, I noticed it this past holiday season was I feel the, I feel that that is showing up in a different way, but very, very intense. I would say there feels like there felt like there was a lot more pressure around it. And I think it's because there almost feels like there's more weight now with it being a million dollar business, at least to me, like that's what I've sort of been self-coaching on and working with my own coach on, feeling like I have this direct impact to our business and our clients and our goals and our results. And then the thought of taking, you know, a week or two weeks off of work and what does that look like? It was it was very interesting for me this past Christmas. Like I very intentionally had to stop myself from working, like close my computer, put it away and establish that boundary for myself. Cause I I think I just, you know, had that mind drama of, well, my influence is greater and this business is making even more of an impact than it ever has. So I thought, I thought that was just like an interesting, and you talk about money gremlins, but I felt like that was a different kind of like work life or like responsibility gremlin or however you want to call it. That was creeping up at a million dollars. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because I think like the things that I used to experience are now like transferred down the line of the business. Yeah. Because I think this was my first holiday break where like, I didn't think about the business at all. Like I mm. still did the mom at a CEO call and the mastermind calls. So I worked two hours that week, but I just didn't think about the business otherwise. Like yeah. I didn't do work. I didn't think about it. I wasn't like stressing about it. It just like didn't even cross my mind. And I think there was a period of time where I wasn't working, but I felt really bad about that like it felt this like intense anxiety like if I wasn't working on it that was bad it was gonna fall apart all of that and this time I felt like I just had like so much trust in the business that I was like I don't have to think about it at all so yeah I do think it is like a progression I agree. I think it's definitely a progression. I can see that because I mean, I think about the ways that I was involved with your business in prior years and things, and it was nowhere near the same level of influence, responsibility, leadership, any of those things. So I think it just was kind of like that natural progression for me where like, this is the phase for me to learn how to do that, and get better with 
managing time and, and things and giving myself that space, learning how to rest and what that actually looks like. And I, I will add in that some of this for sure is mind drama and things to work through. Some of it is just because I love what we do. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I, I find it very hard to stop working sometimes when I'm so excited about what's going on in our business. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that this is another thing that like we're learning through trial and error. Like we were together for Thanksgiving. I didn't work at all. And you were working on our Pinterest ads because we had an event coming up and we were like in the heavy promotion period and like taking a week off of that just like actually wasn't feasible. Mm -hmm. And so then like in that evaluation, it's like, oh, okay, if I want my team to be able to have time off, which obviously I do, then that means we can't time our event in that same way. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's work that has to be done. So like, this is all part of the learning is like those types of things. Yeah. Awesome. What's different for me at a million dollars? I feel like I just generally see the boundary between me and the business so much more. I think when you first start out your business, it is you. Like you and the business are the exact same thing. When the business is on, it's because you're on and it doesn't exist without you. And now we've established a business that is so separate from me. Like I could just leave for the Mm -hmm. next month. I could just like disappear, even with a launch and everything. I could just like get COVID and not be able to do anything or who knows what, right? Like I could just totally disappear for a month and the entire business would be able to run without me. Clients would be served without me. Content would go without me. Like all of the things would still happen. And that's a really great place to be. And it took a lot of intentional effort and work and planning and decisions and scary stuff to get to that place. But I would say that is the biggest difference for me now. Yeah. Well, and you know, now that I'm thinking about it too, something that just came up for me is like, I think we have both noticed that with being at a million dollars in the business, plus there's a lot more opportunity for us. There are a lot more ways that we can spend. We have more marketing dollars. There are different ways that we can spend them. We have like growing ideas because we have more resources. We have more capital in the business. And I think as a boundary for us, we have had to reevaluate plans, scale back, reprioritize. We've canceled launches. We've pushed launches back for various reasons, cutting back based on what feels like it's going to be the best way to preserve us and our energy, our stamina and all of that. Yeah. I am just remembering like, yes, last year we canceled a launch because it was very close to our live mastermind event. And this year with the mastermind launch that we are currently doing, we had had this brainstorming session where we came up with this giant list of things we could do and then just like axed basically all of it. Yeah, (laughs) it was like more than the team could handle. It was Mm -hmm. just too much for where we are right now. So we tabled all of those brilliant ideas for a future time when we have more hands on deck or more 
bandwidth to handle those types of things and went with probably our most simple launch plan we've ever had. Yeah. I think we both feel really good about it. I feel like we don't feel hustly or stressed out or anything. I feel very confident. I'm seeing the ways that we're able to delegate launch tasks and things, and it feels seamless. It really does. At this point, which is saying a lot because we are weeks away. I mean, when this comes out, it's going to be what, like the last day enrollment is open for the mastermind? Yeah. Everyone will have just seen it all go down. And you and I will be... Watching videos and maybe crying. (laughs) So fun. Yeah. Okay. We had a lot of questions about financial planning and investing So we can knock some of these out. The first one was what is the biggest expense? And I know this. Yeah, I do too. Coaching has been my biggest expense for a long time until probably last year. Definitely last year. So last year, basically at the million dollar mark, what overtook coaching as my primary expense because I spend – like just under 200,000 a year on coaching for myself. But the biggest expense now is our team and paying our team, which is so fun. I love it. Like paying the team is something I just enjoy so much. I think it can feel really heavy and like a lot of responsibility to some people or like pressure. And to me, it just feels like this is the biggest honor to get to be somebody's employer giving them their dream job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that too. Recently, we're we're talking about hiring for different roles. We recently hired for one of our open roles and we're talking about creating more roles, obviously with planning to get to 10 million plus. And it feels really special. And I feel like it's really aligned with this business because specifically what we do, we're, we're empowering people to create their own businesses, to create this freedom for themselves, to show them what's possible. And I feel like we have been able to hire really great people. We're talking about continuing to hire roles, having employees in the business, which is really exciting and being able to give them really good, strong, impressive, supportive pay it feels so aligned with the messaging, even if we are hiring an employee who maybe isn't technically a CEO of their own business. I still see a lot of parallels between the roles that we're trying to create and what we teach and what we're trying to help our clients do. Yeah, I think so too. It's really satisfying to me to be able to employ somebody who doesn't have their own business, but wants our kind of lifestyle, like the kind of lifestyle you get to have with your own business. And I think that is just like amazing. Not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, wants to be a CEO or business owner. Some people just want a really great job that they love that is flexible. Mm -hmm. So being able to offer that is so fun. Yes. So somebody asked, how do you plan for investment and also... Like, what do you do about having a cushion if you don't hit your goals and that kind of thing? So I feel like I do most of the financial planning 
in the business, I make all of those decisions and projections and all of those things. So for me, with the budgeting and planning, investing in coaching was always like the top priority for me. There was even a time in my business when I decided to completely stop paying myself from the business so that I could reinvest everything that I made into coaching. And I have some clients who are in that position. And I think that it can be maybe reassuring to know like that is a normal thing. So I grew up with an entrepreneur parent and our family's personal finances were very linked to the success of the business. And it was really obvious and really extreme to me as a child swinging back and forth between the the ends there. But I think that is what it is to have a real business. And everybody who listens to this, who has a business, like your business is a real business. And there will be times where you make sacrifices to invest in that business. And not recklessly, of course, but with an eye on what is the return I'm creating with this. So I was always very committed to creating a specific return. If I was going to invest $10,000, $25,000, $50,000 into something, I was always really clear on what am I getting out from that, both short-term and long-term. What thoughts do you have? Yeah, I mean, I I think that that all has made a lot of sense. I think at times when we have gone through and looked through sort of budgeting and planning, it's been very interesting to, I, I feel that I've learned a lot for sure in that process. Always will be supportive of investing in coaching. I like can't say enough good things about that. But I I think it was very interesting just hearing you talk about that and thinking about some of the decisions that we have made in the last year too. So for example, closing enrollment for mama to CEO and having specific enrollment periods for the program instead of ongoing enrollment, we know that we're setting ourselves up for months where we may not make anything. Yeah. I was telling some of the mastermind students a couple weeks ago I was like, hey, like this month, there are some of you who have made more than me. I saw, yeah. End of the month, like all of them will have out earned me for the month because it's not an enrollment month. Mm -hmm. We're recording this in January. Yeah. So I feel like that has been a really kind of, I I hate to say it because I'm sure for you it was a lot less fun, but for me, it felt like a fun challenge of like, let's challenge our beliefs and Let's trust in our planning. I I think to a time specifically, like in the past six months where we knew we were going to do, what was it October through December or September through December? Like there was a period of over three months where we were not having a launch. We canceled one launch and it was the ultimate test of, do we have belief in our planning, how proactive we are, you know, how intentional we've been about these things. And then also carrying belief through those periods and just knowing that when we did have our launch at the end of the year, that we were going to hit our goal. Yeah. It's so funny. I'm glad that you remember this stuff because that made no impact in me now. Like that did not imprint in my brain. Like, yeah, we had months of no lunch already. And 
how interesting. I just like let that slip away. But mm-hmm. I think it is so, like you said, it's like a testament to our planning and what we've created. And I was looking through finances the other day and like how much is in the business bank account. And we have like six months worth of business expenses in the account. It's like we could just not make money for six months and pay all of our people and all of the things. And we have multiple launches in between now and the end of six months. It just it feels so healthy right now. It feels so sustainable right now. As far as like the cushion question, we aim for 50% profit or greater. So at a million dollars, it was 50% for this year. It's going to be around 50%, if not a little greater than that. So we do for sure build in that cushion. That isn't something that I was doing earlier on in my business. This is a major change. I would say... Maybe until four or five hundred thousand, I was really not paying myself that much until Stuart's job was lost. And then I was like, okay, what's like the bare minimum to make sure we're paying our bills? And then mostly just like stockpiling cash in the business and investing in very little other than coaching. I've always operated a really lean business and I think it's just served me so well. Like cash is such a crucial thing to have when you're scaling and we've always had it. And I think it's been because I've been willing to not buy things, not sign up for (laughs) things that I don't need, like our rebrand and new website that costs a lot of money, but I didn't do it until we were almost at a million dollars in annual revenue. So many people will hit like 100K, 200K and be like, I'm going to have this big rebrand and all these things. And I would say like, wait on all of that as much as you possibly can. For me, coaching's always been the thing that's made the biggest difference. It's been the thing that I pay for, number one, before anything else, because I think it's the thing that impacts the long game the most. And then all the other stuff I pay for when it's super easy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's carried through at least to me. And I think the rest of the team as well, having that cushion and being really intentional about what we've been investing in Mm -hmm. and that, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, sort of security blanket, right? Just being really intentional and providing that security blanket. I think it's like I said, it's translated through the team. Like I don't feel that every launch is going to determine how much I get paid or something along those lines. I feel very comfortable with the way that things have been managed and for you being kind of conservative with how you've chosen to spend money in certain areas. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine if like every launch was like, hope I'll be able to pay you? Yeah. It'd be really, really difficult to do things like take time off. I think it's hard now. Can you imagine? I'd be like, I'm going to work every day of the week. I'm never going to stop. Oh my gosh. What a disaster. <laughs> yeah. It feels like this is like a gift I give myself and you. Yeah. The business this way. I feel like this will like break people's minds a little bit. I talk about like revenue and profit margins and stuff, but my, let me pull it up. My expenses for last year, 
556,000. And revenue was a little under 1.27. So 56% profit, which is fantastic, but $556,000 in expenses, like whose brain is just like melting right now? Like I look at that and it feels super normal to me, but then I also look at it like from a different perspective where I'm like, oh my gosh, I make that much in a year, let alone spend it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, and I think it's very similar too. I know a big learning lesson or area of opportunity for us has been with marketing spend. Mm-hmm. I think that's come up a lot. And it's it's funny thinking back to when we first got a little more intentional with ads and our approach and so many other like programs and experts out there are like, you budget for marketing. And to a certain extent, of course, that is true. You are budgeting for marketing spend, but also you need to see how it's going to work before you're making that call. And it's always confused me to hear. And I, I know you agree with me because we have been in situations before where we're like, why are they choosing to make a decision in this way? Why wouldn't you when you see evidence that something is working, throw a bunch of money at it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This was the hardest thing for me when we were working with an ad agency and they would be like, okay, you have this launch coming up. What's your budget? And I'm like, well, unlimited. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why, why do I have to have a budget? Like if we are seeing an ROI that we like, throw all of the money at it. Like we have the cash, do it. Like Mm -hmm. why do not? Like if we're getting somebody to buy in at $2,000 and we're only paying $1,000 to get them, put every $1,000 we have into that. Yeah. It is doubling our money. We never got our ads to that place. (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) It's still a work in progress, everyone. But... Seriously, that is just our mentality about it. Like we're not here to just like throw away $7,000 or whatever just because that's our budget. Like I want to see the ROI and then there is no budget. (laughs) Okay. The other thing I wanted to say is that when I did this year's planning, our expenses for this year are around a million dollars. Fun. That is crazy and fun. Yeah. It's so crazy to think about. And I think maybe not only as someone who's been working with you, but as someone who is related to you, it's just very funny thinking about like you hitting the million dollar mark in your business. And then it's like, this is how much we're going to spend this year on expenses. Yeah. Crazy. It's crazy. People wanted to know about time management, specifically what takes the most time in the business. And then what a day in the life looks like. And I really wanted to speak to the day in the life question because the person who asked was like, I imagine that it's so much work. Funny. And so I wanted to hear your thoughts about this. Okay. I want two different things. I want your thoughts about these questions, like for yourself as COO. I also want to hear your thoughts on these. Great. About like me and what these are for me. Perfect. Okay. So as far as time management for myself and what takes the longest, I feel like maybe we have a joint answer to a certain extent for what takes the longest. And it's not the obvious answer. Like independently, 
so to speak, I have my own answer for that. And I think it would be onboarding new team members. I think that has proven itself to be really time consuming, not in a handholdy kind of way, just in like, I'm investing in this person kind of a way. And it feels like it's the most valuable place for me to invest my time if I'm going to be dedicating a lot of time. I still think there are opportunities for like systems for onboarding and different things in the future where we can be more efficient. But I I think at this time, that's where I'm really spending a lot of my time and energy. And I, I don't think it's misplaced. I think that is the ultimate place for me to be spending time. But I also think that you and I spend a lot of time and maybe this is a cop-out answer because it kind of encompasses everything in the innovation cycle but it's like the planning and the evaluation like we meet strategically to talk about plans for the business I would say we do annual planning but we haven't I would say we at least have a quarterly check-in call where we're really like diving into our launch plans reevaluating what's worked before and sort of recalibrating based on information that we're learning and I think that even though it doesn't feel like a lot of work because we really enjoy our strategy sessions and we love planning in the business and we love talking to each other that if we calculated how much time we spent on calls doing that, that it would be extremely, it would be like a lot of time (laughs) percentage wise. Ben and Stuart. Yeah. How much time we spent on. Oh my gosh. The other day, the last time we had one of these calls, or I don't know if this qualifies as one of these calls, but when we talked last week, I think it does qualify because we four hours, we kicked it off to talk about what we needed to change for this year. Yes. To hit okay, a certain so goal. It was like three and a half or four hours, right? Yeah. So at the very beginning, like when we first hopped on, Kristen texted me and she texted me like a bunch of images of like stuff that she had written. So I was like, oh, this is not like a multitask on the call with Brenna. This is like save for later because I really have to think and read it closely. And then right as we were getting off, she like responded again and was like, where are you? What's going on? Because <laughs> I didn't respond to her for several hours. She is worried, going to send out a search She's party. Like, Did you die? <laughs> and it was really just us talking about the business, making plans for the business. I was recapping you on some data deep dives that I had done, evaluating our December launch and plans for ads moving forward. And we decided to create another role for the team. Like it just, it turned into a four hour long conversation. As it often does. It's not always about work. That is true. They may not be the most efficient calls all of the time. They aren't. Like I (laughs) am an extremely efficient runner of meetings. Like this is a strength that I have. I am fantastic at it. I know that to be true. Our meetings are yeah. the least efficient meetings all over the I've place been a part of and I love it I know <laughs> I know I don't feel like it's a problem either and I'm like it's it's part of what makes our work fun I yeah, think is that we both get so into the business and can deep dive into it and brainstorm strategy and things I, I wouldn't want to lose that and then of course we talk about everything else under the sun too yeah I feel like with us there is an I don't think that this is a boundaries issue because it hasn't been a problem. I think if it did cause a problem for either one of us, we could certainly work on it and address it. But I think on our work calls, there's a lot of personal. And then in our personal time, like when we're like 
at Thanksgiving or whatever, like baking cookies together or whatever it is, like there's also business talk. I feel like it's just like one of the many topics that we talk about and it always Mm -hmm. feels fun. Yeah. And I don't think that's the same for anyone. And someone hearing this may have been like, ooh, hiring your sister, that sounds great. And now they're hearing this and they're like, just kidding. I don't want to be making Christmas cookies and talking about work. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously consider that if you're ever considering hiring a family member because you might not like it. But for us, it's really fun. And I feel like we can switch out of work mode so quickly. Yeah. That it doesn't feel like a problem. Good at reading, like, does the other person want to talk about this right now or not? Yeah. Good at respecting, like, did did the other person specifically say they don't want to talk about this right now? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like something I've noticed, and I don't know if this was like an intentional decision by both of us or if we both just figured it out. I feel like if we're not sure if it's someone's working hours, we'll send a Slack message instead of a text message. So it's like Slack is for business and text messages for fun. I generally follow that. Yeah. Sometimes I don't, but. I follow it with everybody on the team for sure because it feels like it would be very invasive to send them a text any other way. But I feel like with us, it's like, no, text messaging is for TikToks. Yeah. This is where we share TikToks and memes. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> totally. A hundred percent. Okay. Okay. The well, other question was, what does a day in the life look like? Oh so my days aren't consistent in that way. I'm somebody who very much likes to, and I, I also think that you are like this based mm-hmm. on your current schedule. You love to have the days where you have to talk to people <laughs> and then the days where you don't have to talk to people. I'm I'm an introvert. I recharge when I'm alone. I love nothing more than like a deep dive into data or doing a lot of strategic planning or setting up automations, like working in my bed, sometimes with a podcast or TV on in the background as noise, because I find it helps me focus. And being very focused with like my own, I kind of call it like, this sounds probably weird because of this phrase, but like blackout time. Mm-hmm. where it's like, it's like, I'm not, I don't even exist. <laughs> like I'm off the grid. Nobody knows what I'm doing. I'm working in my own time. And then I have days where I talk to people. When I say talk to people, I don't mean talking to our immediate team. I'm talking about vendors, working on event planning, meeting with our Pinterest account manager, things like that. I like to have that all scheduled in certain days. Every day I like to check in with like the immediate team who's focusing on things every morning. I'll go in and confirm that I've communicated with everybody that I need to, that everyone's up to date, that I've answered any questions, assisted people in any way on the team that I can. I'm also going through emails. I have to be really intentional about how much time I spend with emails and prioritizing because we just get so many nowadays. And not all bad, but again, working with vendors, talking to our videographer, you know, in negotiation for a proposal for our next upcoming event, all things like that. I definitely spend a good amount of time doing that. And then I guess around that is any time in between, but I'm not super consistent with work hours, which works for some people, doesn't work for others, but I find it works for me. I just have things in life where especially on weekdays, I have to accommodate them and prioritize them for myself that aren't work-related, and I do that. I take a lot of breaks to go for a walk or stretch or put in a podcast and clear my head. 
but it's, it's not strenuous. It's not intense. I'm not working crazy hours. I've been pretty good lately. And by pretty good, I don't mean like I have to reel myself in, but I've been pretty intentional about giving myself weekends off as well, which has been really great. And I I say that because before, sometimes it would be very convenient for me to work on a Saturday versus working like Monday or Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And now I'm getting into more of a routine with that where I'm getting traditional weekends and incorporating that back into my schedule by choice. And then I think that's it for, does that sound all encompassing (laughs) of some of my activities? I I mean, I, yeah, I, I have to, like I said, set up automations. I review data, performance of certain marketing campaigns, like Pinterest ads, launches that we have done, things like that. And I I tend to schedule that separately just to give myself a lot of time and space because it's something I really enjoy is kind of diving deep into that. And okay, the last thing I will add is I add a lot of time for like brainstorming and creative thinking, checking in with the business. How are things going with the team members? How are things going with me? Are things as simple as they can be? What feels complicated? What feels hard? And kind of reevaluating that. I make a lot of time for that, probably multiple times a week. I check in with myself and evaluate things in that way. And then for you. (laughs) I can't wait. I asked Stuart this question too. I can't wait for your answer. I feel like I have a decent like grasp on the things that you do. I know that. (laughs) Why are you laughing? (laughs) No, I think that you like take a lot of time to like brainstorm and get not a lot of time. That's the wrong way of phrasing it. But I think you're very intentional with setting aside time for you to create content. I think that is an area where you're still like very involved with the marketing part of the business is that you're creating written content, you're doing the podcasts and you do them together. Like that is how you work best. You're not like, oh, I wrote an email here, wrote an email there. You're like, I'm going to write emails for like two hours and I'm going to put on my playlist and get in the zone. And you definitely do that. How frequently you do that? Yeah. How frequently you do that? I'm not entirely sure. Like maybe (laughs) once a week or once every other week, you like really get in the zone with emails. It wildly varies. Yeah. But that's great though. Totally. Totally. Um, I think you also schedule your calls like I do. And right now, Mama to CEO and Mastermind calls are on the same day of the week. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that was very intentional. You can kind of channel your energy in that same way. You definitely check in with things. I feel like it's making it sound like you don't do that much, but you do. I think it's a lot of the vision and a lot of like your belief work that you put into it as well. It's a lot of the long-term vision, which is fun. I love that you're about to leave and go to Kentucky because I can't wait to see how many texts I get with either like things are changing or like I have an idea with this or something, but I love it. I think it's great, but that is... Yeah, that's exhausting. <laughs> no, I don't. That is a big area of focus for you, though. I think again, it's like creating and developing the vision for the business, which mm-hmm. it absolutely makes the most sense for you to be doing in your role. Yeah, I think my top thing that I spend my time on is creation of all kinds, like just like yeah. creating stuff with my brain, whether it is writing launch emails writing workbooks for clients, writing content, doing the podcasts, like all of that kind of stuff is really like that is the core of what I do. And I Mm -hmm. definitely work in bursts. Like there's some weeks where 
I really don't work that much. I produce almost nothing. I'm just like hitting the bare minimum of like the calls and that kind of thing. And then there's weeks where it's like, I'm going to write an entire launch worth of emails or an entire workbook. And those are the weeks where my inbox just says like, Samantha Siffring shared this document with you. Samantha Siffring shared this document with you. (laughs) It's just like 10 emails in a row of you creating things. (laughs) It's great though, but how awesome is it to have that flexibility? Because I think it's so natural, like definitely for women. And if you're paying attention to like your cycle and things like that, that makes sense. But we just have down weeks sometimes. Yeah. It's just a reality. And how amazing is it that, and I feel this way in my role too, that we can give ourselves that space and just accept that it's a down week and know that we're going to get our energy back at some point. Yeah, and we can be flexible. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of trust with myself that like I will be able to produce this by the time I need to. So there isn't pressure to do it in the time where it feels really hard or forced. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I don't feel it and it's like the deadline's coming up and I just want to get it done. So I'm going to make the intentional choice to like really coach my mind around it to get it done and like get to that mental place where I can feel really good, even if it's not like automatically there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel that. And I feel like our team feels that, which I love. I feel like we keep going back to team. You know that it's mm-hmm. my favorite thing in the world to talk about. But I also think that I don't, there's just something so great about it. It's like, I, again, coming from corporate, like somewhat recently coming from corporate, I did not see this. It's treating ourselves like we're humans. Yes. That is something I prioritize so much as a leader of my clients and of my team. Like we're all humans. I treat myself like a human, my clients, all of you on the team. Like we have things that happen. We're not robots. Like we have feelings. We get sick. We sometimes just have a down week. Like you said, like none of it is a problem. And I think we've both really designed the business to be able to handle those times. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? It has not hurt anything that we have done. (laughs) We have a a lot of evidence as to why I think it's totally okay. And I also think that we're just good at, again, simplifying and being efficient. So it's like, recalibrating, reprioritizing, like being really aligned with what's the most valuable in the business and like keeping that value of simplicity in the back of our minds at all times, or maybe the front of our minds, honestly. And then I think it's like the filter, like you said, where does this feel hard or complicated? Like that is what we have to address. I have the same lens. Yeah. So good. I am curious Like, what have I not said or you not said about day in the life for the person who thinks that having a million dollar business is so much work? Well, I think I like it to me. So one of my favorite things to talk about pretty much ever, and so you may have gathered this by some of what I've said on this podcast is I really love, and you do too, we thinking outside the box and not just going with what sounds like it's what we're supposed to do. And again, coming from corporate, it was you work these hours and you work in an office because everyone believes that in an office like that, you're more productive. And 
oh my gosh, I can't even tell you how many ways that did not work for me. (laughs) Yeah. My former manager is amazing and she's a client and mama to CEO. She's probably going to listen to this and be like, yeah, Brenna asked to go home early all the time. And she would hide out in a room by herself and let the light turn off because she couldn't handle the lights in the office. And we just have a very non-traditional way of approaching work. We work from our beds. I've worked in the car while my fiance was driving us to go visit family. You get amazing work done on airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a gift. And it's not, not in a hustly way, not in a, oh, we need to work on our time off or when we're visiting family. And like, a, this is just happens to be a convenient time to work for us. And there are no set rules about what work actually has to look like. There's no hourly rules, the number of hours we both work in a week totally vary based on how we feel, our needs, the business's needs. And we're just like very willing to look at things from a place of like efficiency and simplicity. And sometimes that looks like our own comfort. It's so true. I feel like my most productive times are usually afternoons and evenings and So sometimes like in the morning, I'll just wake up and be like, I don't really feel like going to work today. Stuart and I are just going to hang out and run errands or whatever. Just have a hangout day. And then like some evening, I'll be like, I'm really in the zone. Like I'm eating dinner at my desk. Like I'm knocking this project out. And I feel like it just like averages out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think as long as you communicate with your team, those boundaries are established. And I think maybe in my role more so than yours, just because of how more, maybe I work more one-on-one with a lot of our contractors and team members. I don't talk to very many of our contractors very often. Yeah. Just like taking that place of leadership and understanding how me being flexible with myself could potentially impact the team but also leading by example to say like, I care for myself when I need to, I prioritize my health before I prioritize work and all of these different things. I think it's been, I think it's been really great. And I think it has carried through to the rest mm-hmm. of our team. Good. Good. What do you think about this? I feel like I've classified this in like emotion slash energy management. How do you mm. manage the fear and doubt at this level? Ooh, okay. So something that I have been working on a lot because I, I, I sort of see this, I see it with our clients and I've noticed it with myself. My coach has noticed it with me recently, which is funny because we've noticed it in our clients is that I feel like there's a progression of coaching where you kind of up level after a certain, a certain, I don't even say period of time, but like at some point you kind of transition to where you really have to feel the feelings. So I think that it's really not easy, but it makes a lot of sense of how you can use thought work to feel a certain way or manage a situation, maybe see it as more neutral. I noticed that a lot when I worked in my corporate job, I was able to use thought work to be more neutral with myself approaching to certain places to overcome some of those emotions. And now I feel like, okay, fear and doubt is always going to be around. And I've had to practice kind of leaning into it a little bit and not instantly trying to like work my brain out of it or 
be super positive because, you know, I believe that as a leader in this business, I have to lead with positivity or for fear of what, like my energy is, my negative energy is going to contaminate the work in the business or something. It's sort of been the process of me just being like, okay, I have doubts right now. I have fears right now. Let's like explore this. Let's feel it. And you know what? It never lasts that long because I can always come back to like our mission and why we're doing what we're doing and why I'm passionate about what we're doing. And we have a lot of evidence all around us that our business is working too. So usually when I let myself feel that, it doesn't last for long. Yeah. My answer is very similar. I just let it be there. I think we have really built up a strong muscle of like getting the work done. And I know for me, like when I produce content, I feel like I've really honed in so well on creating value and writing compelling copy that it doesn't even really matter what I'm feeling in that moment the content is still really good. Now, if I've written something in a down time or when I am feeling some fear and doubt, like a launch, for example, like launch emails, I will always like when I notice, oh, I'm at a like a different level of belief right now. Like I'm at a higher level of belief or I'm seeing things in a different way. I will for sure go back to the launch emails and like hunt for like, where is the doubt here? Where is the like, where is there like a lack of strength or something like that? But I really don't stress about having fear and doubt. I think it is so human. I just don't let it be in charge. Like I don't make decisions from it. I don't, I don't like, I don't know, go hide out or like change my plans or not show up because of it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Same. And I think that something that does help me outside of feeling feelings, usually when I have a lot of fear and doubt, I I tend to get that a lot when it feels like there's a lot of risk with something that we're doing. And I know it's something that you've talked about maybe somewhat recently on a podcast where you talked about decision-making, which we can link, but I think it's a super helpful process and it's, it's basically like a cost benefit analysis and at any level of like fear or doubt, if I feel like it is heavy and I am struggling to move through it, that's a little exercise that I like to do that applies to really specific situations, like tackling a specific task or really big situations, like being in a business like this and running a business like this, you know, comparing why, why am I making this choice? Why am I doing it? What's the benefit if we move forward with this versus what we would lose and then vice versa in the other situation. If I, if I chose a different path, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. Totally. I think like a good example of this for me was when we raised the mastermind rate, when we went from 10,000 to 25,000, cause I originally had wanted to like incrementally increase it by like 5k every year or something. And my coach was like, nope, You need to just like change it once to the thing that it's always going to be. So then I took a lot of time to like really sit with that. Obviously, we talked about that a lot. But then when I finally did it, going into that launch was so scary. But I think like what allowed me to handle the fear and doubt about that was knowing like I had this specific thought. I would rather have like, I don't know what is it, 20 people 
at 25k than 50 people at 10k yeah and that was just like really really powerful for me to be like thinking okay this is the alternative what's the thing that I want and like why am I doing this yeah yeah and I think you know you bringing up that example I think this is a good point as well so I feel like the one of the reasons why we hire coaches is so that someone who has belief in us can help build our belief yeah and I see it in group coaching with the peers in Mama to CEO and the mastermind with both the, their fellow, you know, group members, as well as with you and our program coaches, they aid in supporting you as you grow that belief because they have belief in you. I think that we have belief in each other and we have belief in this business. And so in a situation where, like you said, we were raising the price. I had a lot of belief in that. And I was not nervous about that at all. Like I had no doubts. Very pushy about it. I was extremely pushy. <laughs> I was very pushy. I had a lot more belief when we first had that conversation than you did. And I think it was probably helpful for me to have that belief for you, just how it's been helpful in other launches or with other things where I was having fear and doubt and you had a lot of belief for me to be like, oh, okay, she sees this, she's kind of explained it to me. It almost feels like it's contagious if you're surrounding yourself with people who are supportive of that and supportive of you and see that in you and see that in the business that you're growing. You don't stay in that place for too long. Mm -mm. I think that that is like maybe the number one best thing about being in a mastermind in particular. I have just noticed like running a mastermind and being a part of one that having your coach and a group of women that over years, over multiple rounds together, really knows you and sees you, see having all of those people believe in you and see you as your future self already is so powerful. I recently had the mastermind think about like the version of them that's famous for what they do, like being on the Today Show or something like that, like talking about the thing that they do and like being that version of themselves right now. And I think the fun thing in a mastermind is that that's how the people in the room already see you. It's just like you said, so helpful to build your own belief and see yourself that way. It's like it normalizes that kind of thinking for you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Hello, everyone. Okay, so how amazing is this conversation? Brenna and I had such an amazing conversation and it ended up being extremely long. So we are cutting it into two separate episodes. So you're getting one today and the other you will get later this week. We really wanted you to be able to hear everything from this interview. We didn't want to have to cut out a bunch of content. And we also didn't want this to be like the world's longest podcast episode. So we split it up into two. So go ahead, 
digest everything that you've heard so far, and then tune back in on Wednesday to get part two.